Hello, and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It is Friday. I'm about to go to The Last Leg. It is a great show on Channel 4. It's a political show that is totally avoiding the elephant in the room of the terrible, terrible war. Which war? They overlap. There's always a war. And the one that's big in the news, big on social media, big in our thoughts is the entire Middle Eastern conflict happening Israel, Palestine, Gaza, whatever's going on, you you just can't say exactly the right thing at the minute. And it's not exactly brave to be anti-genocide. I feel like everyone is shocked when we hear about casualties of war. Everyone is shocked and saddened when we hear about children who are losing their lives, losing their parents, going without necessities. Like it actually kills me that there are children in this world, even who are safe and who are living in this country, who don't get picked up when they cry or who are left alone because their parents have drug dependency issues or wherever they are. I hate to the core of my being that there's anyone anywhere because everyone started as a child. Everyone in this world used to be a helpless baby. So even when you meet a guy, and I mean guy, and he's acting like an asshole or just like, someone will be totally unhinged and violent and awful. I look at people like that and I think, you were someone's baby. Even politicians, you were someone's baby. Yes, you were sent away to a boarding school in a different country and you didn't get to know your parents and you were probably mistreated there, sort of raised as a Spartan. But you were a baby. And like everyone starts that way and it sickens me what's going on. It sickens me. And people reach out on my social media and they go, why haven't you demanded a ceasefire, Catherine? I'm at the point with social media now where my answer is like, because is that why the war's continuing? Is it, was that me? I didn't, I didn't like tweet at Joe Biden ceasefire today, please. And so when governments have their meetings and they decide what to do, They didn't see a tweet from Catherine Ryan, and so they decided, oh, well, Catherine hasn't said ceasefire. Let's get on with it. I know that there's a saying that take care of the pennies and the pennies will look after the pound or whatever. So it means that if each of us do what we're responsible to do in our own small way, incrementally, then that'll make a big change. And if there's solidarity across the world that none of us believe in war, I don't think any of us during any conflict have been like pro-war apart from, you know, A few times when a nation has been manipulated to be like, yeah, go over there and fight. It's like, overall, none of us are in favor of any, anyone, any age, suffering, being hurt, dying. And I just don't think that what I post on social media makes a difference. I really don't. And maybe that sounds nihilist of me. Like, I vote and I try to participate in politics. I try to be philanthropic and donate to humanitarian efforts. I don't, you know what I mean? It's so crazy to me that like Susan from accounts is going to reach out to me and be like, you have not, I, I, first of all, Susan, you don't see all of my stories. You, you don't. Like I think of, I have nearly a million Instagram followers and all my stories get seen by maybe like 42,000. So how do you know what I've Instagrammed or not? But I'll tell you who's not watching my Instagram is any one in charge. And I think, I wish that I could change many things in this life. I know that I can't. 
And the people who do tweet about it, it's like, well, what have you done? Have you done a lot more than I have? Because you've tweeted like, I don't believe in war. Yeah, nobody does. Nobody except maybe like eight people in the whole world want to have a war. It's very sad. And I'm supposed to go on this political chat show tonight and, and we don't mention it. We're not mentioning it. We're mentioning like silly stories and other world leaders. And I, I understand why, because human beings are not designed to know about all of the suffering all over the world to that extent. If all of us are employing some sort of disassociation to this thing every day, because if you weren't, even, you know, the war aside, homelessness, vulnerable children, abuse, uh, the inflation that is costing so many families a very happy Christmas that they deserve. If we really dialed into those things, none of us would go to work. None of us would be able to look after our own children. None of us would have any joy. We'd be curled up in a ball, just rocking back and forth. And there are people who are gifted with the inability to disassociate. They see what's going on in the world and they think, what? Why isn't anybody else doing this? anything about this. And they are riddled with anxiety and they can't move. And those people make sense to me. But luckily, my brain has this ability to compartmentalize that and carry on somehow. And you see loads of people carrying on. They'll have sick kids or they'll have just lost their mother or like something awful is going on in their life. And they are in the eye of the storm and they just carry on. I know women dealing with breast cancer who just carry on. And it's amazing the amount of suffering that human beings can actually withstand. But to know about and hear about such terrible things, such terrible casualties of a conflict every day, and just like have a chai latte. Like it's amazing that we can do that. And I think comedians now, because governments, like what am I going to do? I think our job is to acknowledge what's happening, but also to try to find the light outside, you know, the darkness when we can't find it inside the dark, sometimes just distract into it. You know what I mean? Like I, I am not the one, Susan. I am not the clown who's going to be able to fix this. I just don't have the tools. So yeah, I am guilty of being distracted by all the light and stupid and fluffy things. Like Bobby and I went on a date to see the Christmas lights switched on in South London. We did that. Should anyone be doing that? Yes, do it if you can. Bring a little slice of joy to your family because you are safe and your children are well. We went to uh, Matches Fashion, which is a really amazing online retailer, and they have a shop on Carlos Place near Mount Street. They're a great shop. Great people work there. It's really high-end stuff. Uh, it's nice to pop in and have a look if you can. Just be distracted by shiny, pretty things. They had an open house. I think everyone on that road does like a big Christmas open house thing where they serve mulled wine and they have Christmas carols and they switch on the lights with this big countdown. We went to that. And it really was a lovely night out. And Bobby and I are making an effort to do things together. I feel like... There's a discussion with work-life balance. I did a chat, actually, for Richmond events. They held an HR forum, and I was invited for some reason. I'm the worst person to talk about work-life balance. I was like, why are you asking me? Um, you see that I'm trying to raise three kids, and I've not done a tour in a year, and I'm sort of losing it. Uh, I was invited to speak about work-life balance, and I know that the goal is 888. We hear that all the time. Eight hours of work, eight hours of rest eight hours of play. But when you're a mom, especially when you have a partner, 
being a single mom, if anything, you know, it was harder in some ways, but you're never keeping score. There's never anyone to compare yourself to, and you don't have to entertain a husband. And that sometimes is work as it is for Bobby. It's work to entertain me. Like we do have to prioritize our marriage and do things together because this business of having a baby every year and co-sleeping and never having any time for each other. Like I put a lot of pressure on dramas, different television companies to come out with something that we both like that we can watch in the 30 minutes that we have alone before bedtime every night. And if TVs keep making budget cuts, that's greatly going to impact my marriage because we need that time to watch something, to have like one laugh, to have one gin and tonic and then go to bed. Actually, I'm off gin and tonics now. I'm drinking white wine. Um, when you're a mom, that 888 balance is like eight hours go to your work, eight hours go to your kids, eight hours goes to your marriage, and then there's nothing left for you. But I do have fun, even though, you know, you'll just never escape the guilt. Some people just won't escape it. And now I hear from some of my gay friends that I'm meant to be rimming on top of that. Rimming. I'm like metaphorically rimming everyone already, 24 hours a day. And my gay friend, Steven, was like, oh, you got to do the rimming. He's like, sometimes we don't even sleep with each other. Just a quick rim. A quick rim? I don't think heterosexual men can be trusted to get rimmed, if I'm honest with you. Like, I'll rim a, <laughs> with his consent, I would rim a gay man. I feel like everything would be in very tidy order. If you don't know what rimming is, I'm not going to tell you. Just Google it or absolutely don't. Certainly not on a work computer. But that's like another thing to add to my list of like efforts to keep everyone happy. Um, so we went and then we decided, all right, this is a night out for us. What should we do? And after the turning on of the lights, we walked around. That's one of my favorite things to do in London. And we're staying local for Christmas, apart from a brief jaunt to Disneyland Paris. I haven't been to Disneyland Paris in a decade, over a decade, actually. I took Violet when she was 18 months and she loved it. Violet knew tons of sign language then. She could sign all the different characters. Mouse is like your finger going back and forth across your nose. And she knew Mickey Mouse. She knew Goofy. She was into Disney Junior at that time. And she absolutely loved it. And Christmas time, I really do believe, is the most beautiful time to go to Disneyland Paris. Not too crowded because it's very, very cold. It was snowing. And in all the German market areas, it just looked so beautiful. The lights are beautiful. And my kids are so small that they can't go on any rides, obviously. I mean, maybe a few. But they were just captivated by everything else you know, the magic that Disney has to offer. So at some point in the holidays, we're going to go over there just for like a night or two. But otherwise, we're not hosting any family. We are not flying back to Canada. Canada actually is the worst place to go at Christmas just because everything's covered in snow. We live hours away from the airport. Flights are crazy. Flights are expensive. Flights are busy. Flights are canceled. It's not my scene. And there are wonderful things to do in London. And my favorite thing has always just been to walk walk. Like this was the key to my stunning bum and legs when I was a lot younger because I didn't have a car and Violet was very portable. And I just used to walk all around Central and just looking at the beautiful architecture or around this time of the year, the lights, the shops, the window decor, like everything, just simple, beautiful things for free that you can just do. And you feel wonderful and you breathe in that cold air. Maybe that's the Canadian in me. I just love it. I just love it. And so before going home, Bobby and I just went for a walk. And we walked around all the posh bits of London and looked in the shop windows. Um, Louis Vuitton is, I think, my favorite designer brand. I don't own loads of things, period. I borrow some things for work. But I feel like 
if you have one Louis Vuitton investment piece, you know, it's just a lovely thing to pass down for generations. It lasts ages. There were protesters outside the shop on that night and they were like, fur is wrong. Louis Vuitton is a terrible shop. And if you went in, then they like heckled you with a megaphone. And I just thought, well, I don't even know anything Louis Vuitton that is fur, though I do suppose it's leather and they have a point. But uh, yeah, the protesters were a little bit intimidating and I didn't want to actually go in the shop because I would get yelled at with a megaphone. But then, almost on schedule, see, this is what's funny about protests. It's like, this is what we believe in and we won't back down. We'll never stop. But they're very scheduled. Like oil protests happen on a Saturday. If you go to the Houses of Parliament on a Saturday, you will see like six groups protesting different things. I went to a Just Stop Oil march as part of a TV show to investigate this really amazing sustainable family and how they live their lives. I participated in an Extinction Rebellion Just Stop Oil march against fossil fuel use and everything. It was on a Saturday. Like midday, maybe afternoon, and we went to the House of Parliament and they were banging the drums and they had all types of entertainment. I mean, it was a nice touch. They have these uh, red women who represent, I mean, different things to different people. I think it's meant to be like sorrow and bloodshed. And they sort of do this lyrical interpretive walk and their faces are painted white. And then they um, have big signs and, and, you know, they're shouting at Parliament. They have slogans, they stop traffic. Even though it's very well regulated, they have their own police escorts and, you know, the police are there to make sure everybody's safe. But when we got to the Houses of Parliament, there's a lawn outside, I don't know what it's called. We got there and it was like difficult to tell what protest group you were even a part of because there were like eight different ones. It was a big Saturday for protest. There was one from the women of Iran. There was another one, Iran, sorry, I don't live in America. And there was a, the oil one and there was a gender inequality one. And it was like, Guys, it's Saturday. No politicians are in the building. If they were, they really don't care about us. For us. I am such a nihilist this week. I'm sorry. But the politicians, if they were there, which they aren't, would close their windows. The only people in the House of Parliament on a Saturday are the cleaners. And they're in the same predicament as you. So, I mean, you know, let them just do their job in silence. And uh, why don't you ruffle some feathers like 3 a.m.? on a Monday morning or something, you know, like t pick a time that you're really going to be annoying with the drums. Because I feel like anyone who lives around, and why would you want to live around the House of Parliament with this going on? Every Saturday, it is a, a drum and bass festival. And it just didn't feel like we were making an impact at all. Um, but I love a walk. And London is a beautiful place for that. So we had a great time, a fantastic time. And I see that there is very good news uh, today. Coming out of absolutely nowhere, Paris Hilton has had a second child. And she has named this baby girl London. Paris London. And I have followed Paris Hilton's career. If you don't know who she is, I mean, of course you know who she is. She is a socialite. Her uh, father is Rick Hilton. See, this is information that I have. Like, this is why I will flounder on the last, like, I don't know anything about politics, but I can tell you all of Paris Hilton's family tree off the top of my head. Her dad's called Rick Hilton. Her mother is Kathy Hilton, who was like low key for a lot of my life, but now she's ascended to fame in her own right on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And Paris Hilton's grandfather, Conrad Hilton, is like the main bread and butter of this family. He is 
the founder of all the Hilton hotels, and he's like the very rich one. So she is an heiress, a socialite, because of her grandfather's money. But I mean, her mother and father also made money. Her aunties and uncles are all very rich, rich family. Paris Hilton was a troublesome teen. She made a documentary about going to kind of a borstal for girls where a lot of them feel that they were really badly treated. And I don't know the ins and outs of that. I mean, there is a fine line between, not not so fine a line between discipline and abuse. But I'm also like, girls, like, what did you think was going to happen? Yes, you were tied up and bundled into the back of a van and taken to a boot camp because you kept endangering yourselves and other people. You were disrespectful, like downright criminal activity. Paris Hilton broke into her granddad's house to do a sexy photo shoot with Terry Richardson, I believe, who was subsequently canceled for what a lot of photographers get canceled for, just dodgy pics of women and behavior surrounding that. What do you do when your teenage girl is like taking drugs, running away, like being really dangerous? I think you have no choice but to bundle her up in the back of a van at midnight and take her away to a boot camp, a, a borstal. And no, you shouldn't like starve them or hit them. Or, but I think solitary confinement in certain cases, I don't know. Anything to save my child's life if I'm at the last chance saloon, which her parents appeared to be. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. So far, anyway, I'm blessed with a very lovely, respectful child. But Paris Hilton will soon see, because guess what her kids are? They are heirs and heiresses and socialites as well. So hopefully they don't get caught up in the Hollywood game, because she will find that disciplining an overprivileged teenager is a tough game. So she had this baby via surrogate, I am assuming, because I've seen her recently, and she just, Paris Hilton has looked like Paris Hilton since she was 16 years old. She hasn't changed a day. And her baby boy came along the same way. And I feel like so energized by the fact that women, especially, well, it always starts with rich women. Rich, white, women over 30 got the vote before anyone else. Rich, white, women over 30 are using, I mean, I want to call them recreational surrogates more than anyone else. Because I do understand that with fertility, it's never linear. You know, loads of families have different stories and they have... Uh, different shapes of families that help them to reach the legacy that they're looking to reach. And I know loads of women actually who've either had eggs donated or used surrogates or a combination of the two or donated their own eggs or used sperm donors or certainly frozen their eggs, frozen embryos, benefited from IVF. In my pregnancy with Fred, I had to use steroids because my immune system was attacking all the men that my body was trying to grow, which is crazy actually, because I didn't have to take any medicine or any steroids with Fena or Violet because my body was like, great, we're making more women. But the two pregnancies that I lost before Fred, I know that one of those was a boy and I don't, I didn't find out the gender of the other one because it was too soon, but I feel now in retrospect, like my body, because maybe it listens to my stand up, my body's like, whoa, what are we doing? Why are we making more white men? What? Think about this. I think that plays a role in it, that my DNA is even feminist. So I had to take steroids to cool her down. Come on down, simmer down now. Let's just grow this boy. And I'm so glad that we have him because Fred gets better every day. But he's certainly a man. He is certainly a privileged white man. Um... And I know that some people have to use surrogates if they want to grow their family. Adoption's not an option for everyone. And you know, it's complicated and I judge not. You know, do whatever you need to do. But I am seeing a trend of celebrity women 
and it's, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, but it almost like flirts with The Handmaid's Tale, slightly flirts with The Handmaid's Tale, where they're like, I am a lady of like extreme beauty, privilege and leisure, and I do not wish to carry these children by myself. I'm very busy. I will have someone do this, just like I will then hire a maternity nurse, a wet nurse, a daytime nanny, a private, you know, teacher, whatever they do. And I'm not judging them either. I just think it's very interesting that women now can announce babies the same way that men do. It's like, guess what? Had a baby. You didn't know that because I never stopped working and I never looked different. And by the way, I'm going back to work tonight. And that's what she's done. She's just scooped us and like, hi, just had my son. A lot of people criticized his head shape online. I think personally, he's a beautiful baby. And now I've got a daughter and I've named her London. And who knows how many more She's got cooking and behind the scenes. Women now could have like 10 surrogates on the go at one time. And I have interacted with a few surrogates here in the UK. I have actually been, you know, I know when someone is coming on to me. Oh, there's Bobby K. Come in. BK, welcome to telling everybody everything. Thanks for having me. It's been so long since you've been a guest on the podcast. Yeah, the fans aren't really calling for it, I guess. They are. Uh, Oh, well. You've um, been busy. Yeah, I've had some things. I talked about our date where we went to a... Switch on the Christmas lights? Oh, yes. That was, uh, we, almost, we almost saw the lights get switched on. Almost. We were like minutes away. It was magical. Actually, the bit of that evening that I forgot to mention is Stork. Stork? Is that the African restaurant? Yeah. And yeah, who that knew good. that we would love an African restaurant? I believe it's my favorite restaurant. We didn't book. We went just on a, what's the word? On a punt? Whim. On a whim. And I looked for restaurants that were near where we were walking, and there was a, uh, what was it called? It wasn't just African. It was like Pan-African or like African Fusion or something, something African restaurant. It's called Stork, and it's on Cork Street. Stork on Cork. Yes. So it's easy to remember. And it was so wonderful. Yes, it was. Our waiter was Ola. I remember him well. I've left him a TripAdvisor review, my first ever TripAdvisor <laughs> review. They had very exciting cocktails. They had lovely atmosphere, which is the only thing that I even care about on a date. Like the, even if the food is terrible, if I have a nice cocktail and really nice lighting and good atmosphere, good music at the right volume, I'm happy. But as a huge bonus, the food was outstanding. So we had, what do we have? Like jerk chicken wings. Jerk chicken wings. Um, oh, do you know what I saw? I some type of steak. Yeah, what? About jerk. Do you know what jerk means? Like the chicken jerk? Yeah. Is it like a... What's... Were you in this country for Jamie Oliver's jerk rice? Jerk rice, no. Oh, it was like a huge thing. So most of my listeners will have seen this because it was like nationwide news. Jamie Oliver, a very famous chef. For some reason, he has a channel now, and every time the babies turn on the TV, it's like default Jamie Oliver cooking channel, and I really like it. Yeah, it's inspiring. Even though he's got like a humble kitchen, and I know that's not his real kitchen. It could be. It isn't. Wow. He seems to know his way around. He does, but it is a set, and he made jerk rice, and this enraged people. And people were like, oh, you don't know jerk rice, Jim, because he's English and because he's white. Is it because it can only be on like chicken, or is it... Is it the spices? Like, why can't he make jerk rice? Well, exactly. Very interesting. So I didn't really know. I thought people were just annoyed because he was like a white British man making jerk Mm. rice. And a lot of people with like Caribbean, uh, like heritage or from the Caribbean or whatever, were like, no, you can't jerk rice. And I never really knew what jerk meant until now. I saw a woman, 
and I'm sorry, I forget her name, but she very concisely described on a podcast that jerk is not a spice. Spice is part of it, but jerk is a way of cooking. So when certain people were hiding from certain other people, and I don't know exactly which conflict, they were cooking their food with a cover on so that the soldiers or whomever wouldn't see the smoke. And so that's what makes the jerk chicken in many cases, but you could jerk loads of things. Um, That's what makes it smoky because the smoke hasn't been let to just go. Well, I certainly did not know that. Well, neither did I until this. I just knew people were pissed off with Jimmy Oliver, but anyway. Well, it makes sense now. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was calling rice. You can't jerk rice. And he was calling this rice jerk rice without understanding like the full historical significance of what jerk is. Small slip up on his part, I suppose then. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't canceled. That's good. I mean, he shouldn't be canceled. No, people were like pissed for a while. It's nice that he's now figured out something, especially when you're in that line of work. I think you got to get it right. Yeah. I don't even know if he's figured it out. I don't well, know if he heard I'm, this podcast. He's not getting reports on I see. <laughs> I only well, heard it three days ago. Send this clip to him then. I know. Jamie Oliver, you can't jerk rice and jerk is not just a spice. It's a whole way of cooking and it has a historical significance rooted in conflict and perseverance and survival. So we went to Stork. It was incredible. We had these wings and then I had this curry and it had this green sauce and I don't know the name of the, the green sauce or even why I ordered it. I think you just order as you do. You go, can I have all the different sauces, please? Yeah. And you just kind of try them all. And it had scotch bonnets in it, and it was um, the most wonderful curry, and I wish I could have saved it for myself. But it was so good that I had to take it away and give it to our babysitter, Miriam, who was minding the children. And Miriam's a good cook, and even she absolutely loved it. So if you're looking for a South London date spot, Stork is a win-win. It's my favorite restaurant currently. Yeah, Stork on cork. Exactly. So what I was talking about when you walked in is surrogacy. Yes. Because Paris Hilton has just had another baby via surrogate. And there are a she lot of... Enough. She has... I thought that was her first baby. Do you remember I showed you the boy and people were making fun of his head? Yeah, people... He's had a, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting shaped head, but... <laughs> Let me show you. Do you remember this kid? But I thought that was her first child. That was. And oh, she just had so another one. Oh, she's having another one. So P- And Chrissy yeah, Teigen yeah. had babies back to back as well. Like... This is what people are how doing. How old is the boy? The first one maybe one not even but you oh. can this is what you can I do thought, is you can have multiple surrogates I understand yeah so this is the little boy at Thanksgiving and he looks to be not even one so it's his first Halloween so I mean think he's not I even see. one but let me show you the head shape that's got people all up in arms well that won't be on her private Instagram I'm sure yeah his head Instagram. she puts his her baby on yeah. I mean, I think he's adorable. Maybe she's deleted it. She does have a hat on him for Christmas. Yeah, he's he's got a big head. He's so cute. It doesn't make him not cute. Like Fred has a huge head. I think Fred he's adorable. Fred has a huge everything. Yeah, so. When was this baby born? I mean, I don't know. He's about a year. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't so know. did you know, I'm not sure if I told you this, that I have been hit up in the past by surrogates to ha- use them. And I can tell when I'm being chatted up. So I've met surrogates before. And in this country, you're not allowed to advertise that you're looking for a surrogate. So you can't like, and you're not allowed to advertise like, that you want to be a surrogate. Can't go like door to door selling yourself for a sur- surrogate. No. So they have like ways of getting around it. I think Facebook groups and chat groups and like communities where they speak about surrogacy. And they have to be very careful about the language. And I'm sure that's for, you know, safeguarding mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But I was speaking to a surrogate a while ago, 
Uh, and then she slid into my DMs and she said like, oh, do you know, um, since being a surrogate, I've actually craved being a surrogate again. And it would just be so great for me if I could find another family and do it again mm. or something to that effect. She was like, just really would love to do she, it again. She's good. She's yeah. kind of teetering on the, you know, what she's doing is probably wrong, but she's doing it in a way. Right. That, I mean, that's how you have to do it. She's doing it in a careful way, but yeah. I know what she was doing. And I wrote back, well, you're a very hmm. kind and generous person. And I understand, like, I think I would like to be a surrogate if I was a bit younger. I, I like giving birth. I like being pregnant most of the time, except didn't wow. like being pregnant with Brad. Right. Well, so wait, are you trying to be a surrogate or have a surrogate? Neither. Okay. But I just know the chat of surrogates and I know that this one was sort of gently trying to chat me up. Sure. I could feel it. You know when a woman's trying to chat you up. Woman to woman, we know when a surrogate is trying well, to chat I, us yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. No one's ever chatted me up about surrogacy before. You never know. If you met a surrogate, they might. They might be like, so what's your wife's hmm. health status? Well, Would you like to have more? <laughs> I think I could piece it together, but it hasn't happened. Hmm. Um, so what's the question? Just generally just talk general. about surrogacy. Okay. Would you ever be into it? Uh, would I ever be into like having someone else carry our baby? Well, yeah, because like medically, we don't have to. I mean, I'm not like into it. I'm not against it. Like, no. I don't think, yeah, medically, if we had to, yeah. I think, yeah, that's a That's, that's no different. Problem. But I think we've had babies or gotten pregnant, you have, so easily most of the time mm-hmm. that, yeah, I don't think we need to. Because my or, view is or that would want to. a lot of these celebs are doing it, for lack of a better term, recreationally. Like they're just well, they can. choosing it for convenience. Yeah. It seems to me. I'm sure that's definitely a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we've spoken before. It would be before. convenient to not like, put in the 10 months of work of I know. being pregnant and giving birth, I would assume. Yeah. And again, like we're not talking about people who have complex medical issues or can't or, you know, for whatever reason, it's dangerous for them to carry children. Like, let's be very, very clear. Right. And I also wouldn't donate embryos. I wouldn't. No, that'd be weird. I'm not down with that either. Do you know any men who've donated sperm? No, I think men would do it in like a secret kind of way. I don't think they're like, yeah, went to the clinic today and wanked off and... uh... A bit of cash. I don't know. Do they get cash? Sometimes maybe do. Sometimes I don't. I think men get cash. I don't, I don't know. know. Let's find out. I um, think you would sometimes get cash and sometimes you wouldn't. Anyways, I don't think I've ever heard one guy talk about going to donate sperm. No. Hmm. And I think it's a young man's game, obviously. Yeah. You know, if you're like a college student or, you know, yeah. I think you get less money for sure donating sperm than you get for donating eggs. Oh my gosh. Sperm donation is ultimately an act of charity, although the HFEA which I don't know what that is, some like government governing body of sperm in the UK, allows us to reimburse you up to 35 pounds per donation for your time. It is illegal to pay donors more than their reasonable expenses in the UK. In the UK, but I guarantee you in the States, if you've got like a, yeah, you know, stallion. You can donate just... sperm to create up to 10 families and can receive compensation of up to 35 pounds for each clinic visit in line with the requirements. See, that's a night out at Nando's, almost. I know, I know. and you can do that 10 times. We make wow. a sweet... 10 day. times of what? In one day? Well, 10 families total, and that oh. is to... Because when I purchased yeah. sperm, uh, he was like running out of sperm in the UK like, because... He only had so many goes. Because he was really popular. And um, all like he mm. was donate. He was American. 
He was donating sperm. So why isn't he donating in America? Because he was. He would have gotten, okay. So, but he reached, so you can do different countries. So the London Sperm Bank, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure most of you know that before I bought Bobby, I purchased frozen sperm in case I wanted to have more kids on my own. And I returned it now charitably back to the clinic if anyone's interested in this sperm. It was under the fake name Bodhi, B-O-D-H-I. And he <laughs> was like, from Seattle. Sorry, is that considered like used sperm? Like, like I didn't use it. I know, but like... I don't know what kind of transferring takes place, but nah. if you want secondhand sperm, no? No, they still pay. They, they, they just keep it there and put your name, and then they right. just take your name off. I got it. I think so. Oh, I see what you're meaning. Yeah. yeah, so like because I've already paid for it, does it charitably go to right. someone else for free? Well, that would be nice. Yeah. No, I think that's another moneymaker for them. It cost me like eight or 900 pounds plus an annual storage fee. And I didn't even know that I had the sperm still in storage. They rang mm. up and they were like, oh, you didn't pay your storage fee. I was like, great, I don't need that anymore. Can't you see I have all these kids? So then where did that go? Well, I asked her. I said, are you going to throw it away? And she goes, no, we'll make it like available to more families. Oh, all right. But I'm sure they charge the families again. But he was from Seattle. He was like 20 years old. Yeah, I know all about Bodhi. He was uh, like a cool little uh, hot boy. He wasn't hot, but he looked... Like I've heard the story. Yes, a you, fine kid, a like fine the, partner. <laughs> no, I never saw him as an adult. I know, but you saw the pictures of him as a baby. Yes, and I just chose him because he looked a bit like Violet, and he yeah. wasn't too no, but, white. And you loved his little bio. You were, I liked his bio, yeah. but I'm not searching for a partner in him. I'm searching for like an agreeable Listen, kid, which you did not give me. By the way, you gave me an absolute tornado of a son. Well, Fen is not too bad. Fen is great. So far, but she's going to be... She's a problem, A still. cheeky toddler. Yeah. <laughs> they, they present different problems, but... <laughs> but this kid, Bodhi's kid... Who knows like, what Bodhi's hey, kid... Mom, He's probably whatever, like... man. He seemed like, if you're from Seattle, yeah. a skateboarder, was he? Yes. Like, smoking weed, donating He's, sperm, like... He said his top three things that he loves were his mom and his guitar and his skateboard. And the weed. You can't, <laughs> you can't put that on, on the bio. <laughs> the weed. Yeah, he does. If your favorite things are a guitar and a skateboard... The third thing is not your mom. It's the weed. Yeah, he probably went in there and weed, and they were like, mm, we're going to put your mom. <laughs> your mom. But he was nice, and he definitely had his reached his maximum in America, and the London Sperm Bank has a relationship with the Seattle Sperm Bank, and so you can get Seattle Amazing. sperm. And that's what I chose to get, because all the British sperm was really weird. Mm. I just didn't like any, any of the bios. Plus, I can't go on like any tropical holidays, as you know. Yeah, I found that out. And I just we thought, tried, yeah. Yeah, I just thought I can't have kids with someone as Celtic as I am. Right. So I'm not, yeah, so anyway, your sperm, you've never donated it. No. Though you really don't know. Like, can you be 1,000% sure that no one's ever going to knock on our door and be like, Dad? Yes, I can be 1,000% sure. How do you sure? know that? Because you don't donate sperm when you're like... No, but like men will leave their sperm in a thousand dangerous places. Yeah, I, I have never done that. And we don't leave our eggs like laying around. Ooh. We watch them very carefully. Yeah, I'm one thousand percent certain. Okay. Yeah, but. Uh, but I think it would be less serious. Like, first of all, I think it's a wonderful thing to do to donate any fertility material. If you donated sperm, I'd be fine with it. Maybe not now, but in the past, obviously, I wouldn't care. Yeah. If I donated eggs in the past, that's one thing. But I think if you and I donated actual embryos made from us. No, I Both. Would. I would hate that because those would be like, like our, children. our exact kids. Yeah. And um, some surrogates, I forget the names, but like, so we could have a surrogate and put our embryo into that surrogate and she could just carry it. Yep. Or we could have a surrogate and just put your sperm into 
her eggs. No. And I know. Or you could get a donor egg and your sperm and put it into a like completely neutral <clears throat> surrogate. Or you can get donor eggs and donor sperm and put it into a totally different surrogate again. What a time. I know. Lots of options. Yeah. So at least that's good for, you know, people that struggle with. I know. Science is amazing. Yeah. And that's why we're watching Oppenheimer. Trying to. We've gone two nights. We've gotten, last night was a big night. We got 40 minutes down. Oh. 20, minute, 20 minutes the first night. So 60 minutes left. 60 minutes done. So maybe like two more goes. We can get there. Are I'll you gonna there. watch it tonight? I'll never watch time. it without you. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Makes me fall asleep. Um, it's a good movie, but it's very, you know, low octane. I like low. I was so worried I, I'm that happy it was with low octane. Like, I don't want to watch war. You know, I don't want to watch Maverick. I do want to watch Maverick again, but you know what I mean. Sometimes it's yeah. nice to have a slow grind. And that guy is it Killian or Cillian? Did we decide? I say. Cillian. It's not going to be Cillian Murphy. <laughs> Killian. No Cillian. one's name is Cillian. I know, but I just call him that. I know it's probably wrong. doesn't matter. Killian? Ki. Yeah, Killian. Oh. Killian Murphy. Yeah, I knew I, knew I, was, I knew I was wrong. Killian Murphy. Oh, well. You can call him Cillian. What'd you come out here for? A key? Yeah, I got the keys. I'm ready to go. I got a, an HC and a key. Well, it's lovely to see you. You too. Let's take a short break now to hear from our sponsors. And when we return, I will see what letters you have written to the podcast this week. If you ever want to write to us, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. And by us, I mean my sister Joanne curates the emails, and I have asked her to dig into the archives and find the spiciest ones that she can. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Joanne has come up with this week. That is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. This one is a response from the lady last week who had issues with her siblings. She wasn't seeing them a lot. They were only young. She wanted the older one to come and stay with her for the holidays. Her dad seemed like a problem to me. She's gotten back in touch. Catherine, me again from last week. You are correct. My dad is a giant asshole. He once told my mom that when he leaves a room, he imagines everything stops until he walks back in. So he's not just an asshole, but he sounds to me like a pathological narcissist. That like, you don't exist. You're a figment of his imagination. <laughs> he lives in North Carolina now, but lived in Ohio for 10 years before that. My stepmom has always had a weird vibe with my brother and me. She and my dad had an affair while my mom was pregnant with me. Oh my God, the psychological implications of that. I am so sorry for you. Okay. Oh, so like all of this is also probably playing in your stepmom's mind. Like she probably even has uh, like very misplaced. She might not even be aware that these issues exist. It's that she has resentment towards you for some reason for having been in gestation during the time that she got with your dad. And like Khloe Kardashian, no offense, because you have paid your dues and, you know, you have atoned for your mistakes and you see now what kind of man Tristan Thompson is. But what kind of woman, except in very, very specific circumstances, gets with a man who is waiting for his baby to be delivered by his ex or current partner? Like, it's very muddy waters. I know a girl who went on a Tinder date and she arrived pregnant. Like she didn't tell the guy that she was pregnant. And she sat down the Tinder date and she was like, 
we obviously am seven months pregnant. And I saw this play out on an episode of First Dates on Channel 4. The woman was in her 40s and she had decided to get a donor and have a baby on her own. And she went on this date pregnant. And uh, I mean, that was different though. That was a, for a TV show. And I assume the man was made aware before he came on the date, but he was into it. He was like, I always wanted a family. I thought I'd never had one. It was too late for me. And she was like, well, we'll see what happens with us, but there's no man, there's no baggage, there's no mess. Like I just decided to get sperm and have this baby. I should check in. I wonder if they're still dating because they were actually a cute couple. All right. So your stepmom, I think, resents you for just being in your mother's womb when she started dating your dad. But my stepmom has always acted like my mom was the bad guy, of course. She's fine, but it does sometimes feel like she hinders the relationship between me and my siblings, the girls, purely through not doing a single thing to help. My dad's no better, but I think that's more because he's too self-involved, no matter how much I try to explain to him how I feel. I do have the oldest sister on Be Real now. For the boomers like me, Be Real is an app where you take a snapshot every day at a certain time and there are all these different things involved with it. I know that there's a specific time that it'll give you an alert and be like, take a shot of what you're doing right now. And I think you can't edit it. And it takes a photo of what you see in front of you and also what you see on your own screen. So it's your face and whatever you're looking at. It's pretty cool. I don't have it. I should get it. We have a tiny bit of communication over that app. So I try to take what I can get. Whenever I do get a letter from one of my sisters, it makes my entire week. I've saved every single one. Hopefully in the future, we can have more of a relationship. But for right now, thinking about them makes me want to cry. Thank you so much for your advice. Does anyone have advice for this woman that is better than mine? Because my gosh, I just feel like this is so loaded. And I hope that you are seeing a licensed specialist therapist in this area because you were abandoned by your dad before you were even born. And now he's putting these other sisters on a pedestal, not only doing that, but creating a wedge between you and them. And I'm sure that that is only because for some reason you are a reminder to the stepmom of your mom. And it's like, what is wrong with men? I feel like I should change the name of this podcast to what is wrong with men. Hashtag all men. <laughs> all right. Letters this week. Catherine, I heard this story and it immediately made me angry. Oh, this is re her family misses the ex. Last week, uh, there was a young woman who split up with her boyfriend, and then she got a new boyfriend, and the family were like not on board with her splitting up with him. They really wanted her to keep this one. She didn't. I believe it's up to you who you want to be with. You shouldn't listen to anyone from the peanut gallery, including your own family. And it feels to me like the listeners are about to agree. When I was four, my father died. For a long time, nearly a decade, my mother didn't date at all. When I was in high school, she started dating a man. They dated for about eight years and then broke up when I was in college. My uncle, this is my mother's brother, took her out to lunch, a rare event under normal circumstances, to try to convince her to stay with this boyfriend. The same boyfriend who caused chaos on every holiday because of his own unresolved childhood issues who told me my mother was lucky he stuck around because in the time he dated her, she had gotten fat, packed on the pounds. I got in trouble for pointing out that his hair had been a lot thicker when she met him. Good for you. Among other things. My uncle's behavior really hurt my mother. I'm almost positive that he wanted her to stay in the relationship so he didn't have to feel bad that she was alone. 
She thrived on her own for a long time. When she was 64, she met a man, younger than she was, where she swims, and they have been together since, and they got married a few years ago. From my own experience of being single, there are many people who are uncomfortable with single people because the only um, they only imagine the worst things about being signal, and they don't recognize the joys. I have a lovely partner now, but I am so glad that I too enjoyed the single days. Knowing I can be happy alone makes my choice to stay in my relationship one that is from the heart. I feel exactly the same way. If you don't enjoy your own company, how can you expect anyone else to enjoy your own company? And I think that women, especially for a long time, physically, financially, legally, materially needed relationships with men. We needed men to sign off on us buying houses or having passports. You know what I mean? And now we don't. Like, we literally don't need them. And they hate that. They're like, why do you need... Being needed is not always the best thing in a relationship. To want someone in your life is a far greater compliment. And I agree with you that it's other people who get uncomfortable. Oh, no. Oh, no. She can't be single. You should just stay with him. He's the best you can do. Fuck off. Your mother was happy. The woman from last week who wrote in the letter, like, she was happy as well. I feel like you've just got to stop people meddling and maybe confront them with your own suspicions about why they're doing it. It would be great if someone ever does this to you. If you split up with someone or you're single or whatever, and your family gets involved, your brother, your cousins, your sibling, whoever, you go, what is it about me being single that makes you uncomfortable? I know it's hard for British people to articulate their feelings or their thoughts, but I really think that if you call that out into the room, because I believe that you're right, yeah, it made your uncle uncomfortable. He was like, oh no, this can't, she can't be single. Gotta lock this guy down. Your mother was happy and thank goodness, or she would never, this is the thing, if you spend your time with the wrong person, you are blocking the right person from coming into your life, unless you are the last listener's dad and he'll just fuck anyone, whoever's pregnant, he doesn't care. He'll jump from branch to branch because he's a slag and an asshole. But, uh, and a narcissist. But if you're with someone that you feel lukewarm about, let them go. And you can let them go kindly because you're preventing them from being with someone who isn't annoyed by them. And if you're with someone who's wrong for you, let them go. Not just so that you can enjoy the time being single, and that is a wonderful time, but because that that's the only way that you'll be open to maybe something else coming into your life at the right time if you want it or don't want it. Okay, X and shared social circles. Catherine, lately I've been feeling a lot of hatred and anguish toward my ex, even though it's been a year and I've moved on with someone else. My ex was extremely toxic, physically and emotionally abusive. He's a compulsive liar, and I fear, even though it's been a while, he's spreading lies about me to mutual friends. Just this past Halloween, he got me kicked out of my friend's party by telling one of the hosts to kick me out. I don't know what he said, but the host yelled at me in front of my friends. Since then, I can't shake the feeling that people hate me and he's been spreading lies. It took so much healing and work to let go of this past, but the new situation has left me feeling scared and anxious all over again. What do I do? How do I focus on now? Is there any way I can get revenge? <laughs> you slip that in. You wrote the email and then you went, hmm, I'd like to focus on now and rise above it and move forward, but is there any way I can get revenge? I love revenge. I'll tell you a little secret. It was very petty. It was deeply petty. And I'm not proud of it now, although I am sort of 50% proud of it because I am a feminist, of course, and I believe that sex work is work. And I think that 
you know, these women, it's not their fault when your boyfriend cheats on you. You know what I mean? They're there. They're available to take the call. They don't ask questions. They got to pay their rent. But in the past, I had a boyfriend who frequented sex workers, I believe. I don't have proof of that, but I do have proof of one interaction. And it took, you know, it was messy. We split up eventually. But I found the details of the sex worker when I looked on his phone. And women should be populating MI5. You know, there should be no male detectives. Why in this world is there even one, like Sherlock Holmes, really? is the best detective on earth, like a bumbling, like 1930s man. I don't really know where he's from, but like, what did he even solve? Like back then, they never found out who Jack the Ripper is. Even now, they don't know who did anything ever. Our house was burgled. Bobby caught the burglar, gave him to police. Police lost him. And then they sent detectives over and they sent forensics to like check footprints and check fingerprints. But they never found that guy. We have cameras everywhere. Like they were like, well, we don't know. Like you had him for a minute and then he ran away. You saw him. His footprints are everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere. Like we, no, don't know. Because I don't think that like detecting things is necessarily a genetically strong trait in men. They don't detect, they don't know like clear signs that a woman is pissed off. They don't really know, like, I just think women should be detectives because it took me five minutes after just finding a text on his phone to cross-reference that, like Google this phone number and the escort's name and find all of her listings. And from that, I found her social media. And from that, I found her fake business. And from that, I found her birthday. And I found where this fake business was registered. And I found her address. And I found the flat where she was operating as a sex worker. And due to some of the details of the story, I actually did worry about sex trafficking at this address. I knew that there was drug dealing at this address. And what did I do? I called Crime Stoppers. And I gave them all the information. And I, I felt like, oh, should I have done that? Should I have just let her live her life? Because she didn't hurt me in any way. She was just working. But I actually was worried about the sex trafficking. I hold my hand up like my, to my heart. I swear that that was a concern of mine because of some details that I can't get into now. But uh, I did give all that information to a man at Crime Stoppers. So who knows if he like wrote it down properly or t- I don't know. But I had a lot of information. And he was like, how do you have all this information? I was like, um... Because I was born with a double X chromosome, that's how. All right, so you want to get revenge. <laughs> you should, you, I, but my, my point is I didn't feel great about it afterwards. I sort of second-guessed myself. And it didn't change the fact that this guy had betrayed me. So like, do you need revenge? I don't think so. I feel so angry with him and the past sometimes, but I don't know how to let it go. So you're like me, is that you feel like the, the more you do, the more action you take, then maybe that will help heal you because it's very uncomfortable to sit still with grief or with pain. And this is a guy who's done you wrong and keeps doing you wrong. And you're like, oh, why am I just supposed to sit here and let this happen to me and, and not move forward in some way? And I think that you wouldn't be looking to get revenge if there was a sensible way that you could move forward and put that negative energy into some positive healing for yourself. Again, this podcast could be called many things, but one of the other names for it is get therapy. I feel like therapy will help you process this grief. But my advice for him shit talking you around town, I feel like you need to chat to this host of the Halloween party because you're like, I don't know what he said to the host, but the host yelled at me. Well, what happened? Maybe that wasn't the time to get information because you're being yelled at publicly, like shamed in front of a group. But I would reach out to the host and I would just say, 
I'm so sorry about Halloween. Like be defend, like be on, you know, de- you're the defense and first and say, I'm sorry. Um, but I would like to know what you were told I did or think that I did only because I feel like there's a pattern of my name being maligned when I don't really know what I've done wrong. And I feel like I'm going crazy. Am I offending people or is false information going around about me? Is You know what I mean? I think that's what I would do. I'd reach out to the host and I'd say, I hope I'm not crossing any boundaries by asking you this, but I would love for you to clearly tell me, like, please, what did I do to offend you on that night? And I'm sorry. And then they'll probably tell you. Be like, well, he said, and then you can't have any interactions with this guy because he's not going to stop doing it. He's just going to do it more. I think you got to lay low. Don't. What does Michelle Obama say? When they go low, we go high. Don't sink to his level. Just wait for other people to find out who he is as well. Keep a close circle of friends who believe in you. Always ask around. I don't think that it's a bad thing just to keep asking people like, what were you told that I did because I didn't do that? And you will see, you know, through my behavior and through my reputation that I don't do things like that. And I feel that I'm being set up. That's really what I would do. And also get therapy because you shouldn't live in this pain and grief and anger. You know, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. And just know that like this guy's a loser and he will get tired of me. I think if you combat, if you do a back and forth, if he knows he's getting to, he'll keep doing it. But if he thinks you don't care, he'll eventually get bored and start like torturing someone else. I'm so sorry. And ladies who don't have this situation going on, be careful who you date and men as well, because actually women can go crazy after a breakup too. Mysterious pain when aroused. Well, I don't know about this. Well, let's let's read on. Catherine, I'm a woman in my late 20s, and I've been dealing with an issue that no health professional or hours of Google searching can help. You seem to have such a wide network of professionals and people with vaginas who listen to your podcast, so I am asking here. For the past seven years, I've been living in pain. Every time I get aroused, it hurts. Whenever I Google this, all I get is pain during sex, referring to pain which comes with penetration rather than these moments leading up to the event. In the past, I've noticed after sex, I end up with a small cut at the base of the vulva, very similar to a first degree tear in childbirth. What? But totally internal. But I've never ever been pregnant, let alone given birth. At times, oh, as time has passed, I've learned to deal with this pain that comes from the tears for the week after sex. This woman has pain for a week. She has pain before she has sex. And then she tears every time during sex. My initial uh, diagnosis is like, maybe like for the tear alone is maybe dryness. Maybe you have like very thin like walls and they're dry, I would say, but let's see. But I haven't seen you, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but I cannot believe that you were dealing with pain during before and a week after sex, every time you have sex. The more troubling issue for me, Catherine, is the pain when getting aroused. The only way I can describe this pain is extreme tightening of the area where I've had these cuts before. I've seen multiple professionals and even paid for certain scans privately, almost putting me into debt, but no one can help me. Is this some form of scar tissue causing me problems? Is it all in my head and I need to see a sex therapist? No. Is it all in my head? Like the classic diagnosis of like women's health issues. Like, are you are you going to Victorian medical professionals, by the way? Like your vagina's haunted. It's all in your head. Like just relax. Go for a walk. 
If a fucking doctor told you this is all in your head, I'm going to hit the roof. (sighs) I cannot afford to go private again. Is anyone listening to your podcast dealing with the same thing? Or is anyone listening to your podcast a professional who can help me? This is causing a strain on my sex life at such a young age. I do not want to have this forever. I'm so sorry. So obviously, I don't know. I... I always share too much, but I think I'm getting my period back soon, which is crazy because Fena is going to be one next month. Oh, cr- maybe I'm pregnant. I don't think I'm pregnant, but um, I got my period back on Fred's nine month birthday, like on the day. And I got pregnant with Fena, my first ovulation after that. So I would have ovulated before Fred's nine month birthday, had my period on Fred's nine month birthday. And that gave me like a clock to count. And then we had sex two weeks after that and I got pregnant. And now here's Fena. Fena's almost a year old and I have had no period. But I will tell you that I was briefly aroused this week. And I like, I wasn't even, actually, that's not true. I, I, it, like, I thought maybe I was aroused, but I wasn't initially aroused, if you know what I mean. The pain came before the arousal. I was like at the bar with Bobby, with lots of people. I was actually talking to my friend Emily at the time. No offense, Emily, you did look great. But all of a sudden I got like this ache in my like vag that I can only describe as what I think some reality stars have called a wide on, you know? So like arousal does something to you where you feel like, huh? It was kind of like an ache, but I wouldn't call it extreme pain. And I said to Bobby, like, it's weird. I was kind of like moving around being like, that is weird. Like, a, I wouldn't call it a tightening or I don't know what it was, but if that's anything like what you're describing then I felt like if we had sex, it would go away. I was like, is this arousal? Like, what is this? It really hurts. And then it just kind of went away. Does that help? Was it, when it was, like at the base, like you say, of my vulva. So what is that little area? Why is women's health so shit that none of us know what our bodies are doing ever? Please, someone write this young woman and help her. Please. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. Next week, beginning of the podcast, we're going to find out why arousal hurts you. Love should hurt. Arousal should not. Okay. Ugh. Mmm. Hearing impaired kink. Catherine, a recent hookup of mine went a bit sideways. I met a cute boy at the pub and we started talking. We exchanged numbers. Everything was going great. He was sitting close to me and we were flirting. All of a sudden, he leans over and tells me, my ex-girlfriend and I used to pretend to be deaf when we were having sex. He then proceeded to use a put-upon deaf accent and move his hands sporadically as if he was doing BSL, British Sign Language, though obviously he was not. This happened and it went viral that there was a woman who signed up to do ASL, American Sign Language, on a program and actual hearing impaired people, I forget what the, some people like the term deaf, some people like hearing impaired, there are lots of different terms for people who use sign language. People who spoke sign language saw that this person was just freestyling with their hands and they went crazy and like it blew up on the internet and everyone was like, why are you such an asshole? Why would you do that? Like, why would you turn up and just be like, I can wing this? And they're basically just doing gestures, like dancing to the words. It was wild. This is so offensive. I don't remember much else from that evening, but I know I laughed it off awkwardly because what was I supposed to say? And then I never saw him again. You had an episode about kink shaming several months back. What's the overall advice when you're taken aback by a kink that you absolutely do not share and have no 
interest in exploring. Okay. You can shame this guy, not for his kink, because this is the thing with a kink. You are not supposed to lean over to a woman in a bar and be like, my ex-girlfriend and I used to fuck like this, no matter what. You're shaming that because a kink, I think, and I don't have any, my kink is like sleeping and eating cheese fries, but a kink, the whole point of it is that it's meant to exist in a very closed, like trusted circle. So a relationship of some kind, and I mean, I'm, that could be a throuple or whatever you're doing in your life. It doesn't have to be just a marriage or whatever, a heteronormative, very vanilla relationship like mine, but kinks are supposed to exist in a safe space privately and with consent, and presumably everyone in that small circle or controlled circle is on board with this kink and not offended by it. You don't sit at a bar and be like, we pretend that we uh, can't hear and we do an accent that a lot of people would find offensive. And then we pretend to speak a language with our hands that we don't actually know which is offensive. Like imagine the guy was like, oh, when, when we're in bed, we like to pretend that we are like Vietnamese amputees and we use wheelchairs and then we speak Vietnamese to each other, but we actually don't speak Vietnamese. So we're just making like very racist noises. You know, like the, to me, this kink is deeply offensive, but you should never, and I should never, I mean, I'm glad you told me, but this man should not have shared that kink with you. What kind of an asshole leans over to a woman at a bar, a recent hookup of mine, you hooked up with this guy. God damn it. You hooked up with him when? Because you went, a recent hookup of mine went a bit sideways. I met a cute boy at the pub. We started talking exchange numbers. Everything was going great. He was sitting close to me. We were flirting. And then he leaned over and told me he has this kink with his girlfriend. So did you have sexual contact with this man or not? I really hope not because he really truly is an asshole. And whatever you do with him in the bedroom or in text or whatever, he's going to lean over to a girl in a pub one day and be like, you know, my ex and I. So like, he is just a waste man, period. Is this kink offensive? Yes, I do think it is. Um, but don't don't lean, oh, men, all men, don't lean over to women in bars and just tell them this shit. Oh, another kink one. Oh, Catherine, oh, I have been seeing my boyfriend for the last 10 months. He's a really lovely, thoughtful, caring guy. He has a good job, his own house, Car, great family, lovely friends, great communicator. He's funny. My friends love him. He's honestly wonderful. I love him very much. However, oh no. I recently went snooping through his phone and he and his best female friend have some history. So I was suspicious. It was a total invasion of privacy. I know, but I've been cheated on in the past and I just needed some reassurance. So let me just tell you though, my gut is always right. Always correct. Whatever I think is, whatever it is, I trust my gut now because I'm 40 years old. If I felt a need to check in my partner's phone, uh, first of all, yeah, I would find something there and we shouldn't be partners is the long and short of that. And if we weren't married and we didn't have children and we'd only been together for 10 months, I would look deep into yourself and go, do I really want to be with someone that I need this reinsurance from? You've been cheated on in the past, but if this guy was making you feel secure and you were secure in the relationship, the past is in the past. You wouldn't want to check his phone. And obviously you found something because you're writing me in the podcast. So you were right. Your gut was right. So going forward, whatever this kink is about to be, and we can't wait to find out, 
Don't doubt your gut. If you feel like you might need to look in a man's phone, save yourself the trouble of the dirty images that you're going to see in there and just leave him because you're always right. (sighs) Then I came across lots of, no, no, adult baby pornography in his history. I'm quite shaken by this. He's really quite shy and inexperienced sexually, and he hasn't shared any kinks with me at all. To be clear, these are consenting adults in the photos who are dressed as babies with diapers on. I don't want to be one to kink shame, but this has me feeling uneasy. I think it's just a power dynamic thing, and it's just because he likes to masturbate to it. But It doesn't mean he actually wants to do it in real life, does it? I can't bring this up with him as I have to admit that I went through his personal things, and I don't want to make him uncomfortable if it's not something he's openly sharing. I I don't know. Okay, what does adult baby kink mean psychologically? We got to Google it because maybe there's a way. Like I'm skipping very much forward because I feel like you have two choices here is my initial instinct. Because if you want to marry this man and be with him forever, in addition to the rimming that I'm told by my gay friends that all heterosexual women now have to do, you're going to have to honor this kink somehow. Or if that is a deal breaker for you, then you need to leave him. Okay, but what does it mean? Paraphilic infantilism. It's a sexual fetish that involves role-playing a regression to an infant-like state. Because I'm thinking now, I'm, I'm imagining you don't want to actually participate in this in real life. And I, you know what? I wouldn't be happy just knowing my boyfriend was like privately masturbating to this if I wasn't also prepared to do it in real life. Okay, here is what Sex and Psychology by Dr. Justin Lemiller says. Sexual fetish. Oh, God. All right. A few cases of what? Auto. Oh, auto nepiophilia, which is also a name for this paraphilic infantilism, have been reported in the psychological literature, which typically involve adults who derive sexual gratification from engaging in infant-like behavior. What if you have a baby with him? See, now I'm kink-shaming. This may include acting like a baby, being taken care of like a baby, and or wearing and using a diaper. Not in my house, he wouldn't be. In my house, he'd be fucking potty trained by seven months. I'd be like, what are you doing, Stephen? Get up. Several online communities exist that cater to persons with this interest. Very little is known about it, including psychological characteristics. However, a recent paper published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior provides some interesting insight. For this study, a total of 1,795 adult men and 139 women, more than 10 times the amount are men than women, were recruited 31 years old on average. Most had some completed at least some college. Most men reported being attracted to only women, 58%. Some were bisexual, 19%. While women reported being bisexual, 43%, or attracted to men only, 34%. Results revealed that these interests emerged very early in life, around age 11 for men and 12 for women. Most participants reported having practiced this behavior for quite some time, men partaking for 17 years and women for 12. The interests appear to emerge somewhat earlier in men and men have practiced this behavior for longer. 
About half the sample reported current involvement in a romantic relationship. For both men and women, the behaviors using diapers, wedding, messing, and other baby items. Uh, okay. Okay. Specifically, men reported using diapers more frequently. In, in contrast, women reported playing with baby toys as well as sexual and non-sexual play with a daddy figure more often. Compared to women, men also rated diapers as being more sexually stimulating and more important to their like baby thing, kink activities. Compared to men, women reported being a baby and being dominated as more important elements. What? What? Based on these results, it is perhaps not surprising that men reported greater levels of sexual enjoyment from this like baby play, whereas women reported greater levels of role play enjoyment. Well, that's like a tale as old as time. Women like the story of it. They're like, oh, the plumber comes to the door. Oh, I, I can't pay him, whatever. And then the men just get like sexual gratification from like shitting in a nappy. I don't, none of these men. None of these men would ever darken my door. This is so far from what I am prepared to accept from a man or a baby. All right. These behaviors, this is the part that matters to you. They are associated with attachment styles and parental relationships. These associations tended to be small and more associations were found for men. Among men, being more anxiously attached was linked to nine baby play behaviors, including a desire to be dominated and to have a daddy. Among men, having a negative relationship with one's mother or father was linked to engaging in sexual activity with a mommy or daddy figure. In contrast, having a positive relationship with their mother or father were both linked to viewing diapers as sexually stimulating. I can't. I can't with the kink. I really don't like it. All right. So you say he has a lovely family. How much interaction have you seen him have with his mother and father? I think if you want to keep this guy around, because it sounds like you like everything else about him and you're younger than I am and I am openly kink shaming this. I don't like it. Uh, fine for you, not for me. Like if you were my best friend and you were like, look, this is what my husband gets off on and I like it and I'm going to do it for him. I'd be like, fine. But I am personally not into it. But I'm not into any kinks. <laughs> I'm the worst. Um, you could try a few things, I think. You could try just dominating him in bed a little bit and see if he likes that. I have read that way more men than we think are into pegging. And this goes hand in hand with what my friend told me about rimming. I think men want us to play with their bums, basically. And I'll let you know if, if I ever take that leap. But so far, no. I think that you could try doing things to him in bed, like, I don't know, look up dominatrix sort of dominating behaviors first and see what you're comfortable with. Or maybe see like, you could say, mommy's going to do this, mommy, like call yourself mommy, I think. Because Bobby and I call each other mommy and daddy anyway, but not in a sexual way, just because we're always addressing each other in front of the kids. Another thing that you could do, I mean, you could maybe have him call you daddy. Just see, like feel it out. Just be like, daddy's going to do this to you. I don't know. And then if he seems to be weirded out by that, he won't know that you looked in his phone. Like I said, only women should be detectives. Men are not that observant about things. They don't notice stuff. Um, cut your hair and do it. And he won't even notice like anything about what's going on. He won't mention your hair. He won't be like, wait a minute. You've called me daddy twice now and you fingered my bum. Have you been looking at my phone? Um, maybe after a shower, you could go the nice route and see. So like next time he has a shower, be like, oh, come here. And then try to cuddle him, but try to like put the towel around him 
and like be the big spoon, you know what I mean? Or have him like sit on your knee. And if he's like, what are you doing? Be like, I just want to cuddle you like this. Try that. And like stroke his back and just dry him off in the towel and like hold him a bit. Right? Maybe. And then next time you're having sex, if you're, if the not naughty stuff, daddy stuff didn't work, just be, oh, if it's not too weird to you, just be like, mommy loves you. Oh, that mommy, like call yourself mommy in a nice nurturing way during sex. You know, I think there are compromises to be made here. I'm so sorry that you stumbled upon all this like baby porn, but just see what you're comfortable with. And if it really grosses you out that much, you'll know pretty quickly. And you're not, you know, it's, there's a difference between kink shaming and just like being honest about what your boundaries are in a relationship. You don't have to totally lose yourself to fulfill someone else's fantasies, kinks, whatever. He's not a bad person for having this kink. It's just about like, are you willing to bring this kink into your life? And I think you have to, because if it's a part of him that he likes, if you want to keep him, then you have to, because these, these parts like can't just exist forever. Let's say you're married for 40 years. It can't just be a thing he does on his phone when he's alone, or he's not right for you and you can find someone else because you're young and beautiful. And just because he's a great guy doesn't mean there aren't a thousand other great guys out there. Maybe not that many, but there are at least 30 great guys in the world and you you get one. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever want to write to me, telling everybody everything at gmail.com. If you're listening Friday, I'm very promptly on the last leg tonight at 9 p.m. I'm not doing many gigs lately. Uh, you can buy my book. It's called The Audacity. You can listen to it on as an audiobook. You can read it on your phone. You can get a paperback, hard copy. And pretty soon, pretty soon, but not yet, I'll be coming to a town near you. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, please look after yourselves. Bye-bye.